0: everybody i hope you are having a wonderful day welcome to this episode of tales from a vet tech with liz houston who will be discussing all things technician utilization what it is what are our challenges and how you can advocate for yourself as a technician to be utilized I am so stoked today. I have to say how fucking, I have to curse. That's how stoked I am to have the amazing, inspirational Liz Houston today to talk about one of her favorite topics. For you listeners who are familiar with Liz, you could probably guess what this is, but we're going to be talking about tech utilization and technician unions and all the lovely things. So To get started, Liz, again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Tabitha. What does, this is a heavy question to start,
0: currently, what does tech utilization look in our field? And from your perspective, because I know I have my views, but I would love to hear yours.
1: Yeah. I think you sent me a screenshot the other day of your views, or maybe someone else did. There, um, it is a, it's a really hot topic right now. And I think it's a hot topic for a lot of different reasons. One being that we're in a real crisis of staffing in veterinary medicine. Now, this is something that has been a long time coming. We have been short-staffed for two decades, probably. Uh, But with the pandemic, I think it really brought it to a head. And then when you add on everything else, not just pandemic related, although most of the stuff is really kind of linked to the pandemic, people thinking about their work lives, their mental health and well-being, uh, you know, focusing on the things that they need for themselves to be Successful and healthy and happy in their lives. And I think what COVID has done is brought that into focus for a lot of people. And that is a big part of the reason why we're seeing this great resignation, big quit, whatever you want to call it, is people looking at what's going on in their work lives and recognizing that they are not where they want to be. They're not being used in the way they want, they don't feel appreciated partly because, you know, they see the evidence of not being utilized. So they don't feel appreciated. They don't feel respected. When we talk about staffing in veterinary medicine, and we talk about credentialed veterinary technicians versus non-credentialed team members um, who are legally veterinary assistants, it becomes really difficult and muddy when practices don't you know, they're not using the right, they're not using proper titles. There's a lot of confusion around title usage, I think in general. Um, and I think in a lot of states, it's not very clear what titles are legal and what, what's not legal and what's allowed, what's not allowed. And, you know, veterinary medical boards haven't really helped with this. Unfortunately, our national organizations haven't really helped with this to kind of clear the mud around this issue. So I, we can't talk about utilization. Without talking about proper legal titles, uh, because they are linked inherently. They're linked by the Veterinary Practice Act, really. So I live in a state, I live in California. We have a very clear list of tasks that are restricted to only RVTs, that's what we are in California, or DVMs. So no matter what, a veterinarian cannot delegate one of those tasks to a non-credential staff member, to a staff member that doesn't hold a license from the state of California. Washington is another state that has this very, a lot more tasks actually than in California. Um, there are other states that have similar restricted tasks some people call that a scope of practice. So when we look at those restricted tasks in cal- let's just take California, for example. In California, a veterinary technician and RVT is allowed to extract teeth. So we can do simple extractions, non-surgical extractions. You can't take a scalpel to a patient. That's the general rule for veterinary technicians in California. If you have to use a scalpel, you cannot do it. That is surgery. That's for the veterinarian only. So just like a veterinarian can't delegate surgery to an RVT because it is a restricted task. It's only in their scope of practice, but you go to clinics where only the doctors are doing extractions in California, even though RVTs are legally allowed. Uh, it is in their scope of practice. We are trained in school to, to do these extractions. And I don't want to get high. Maybe that was a bad example to choose because I know like the Dentistry VTSs don't think technicians should do extractions and there's a lot of guys there's, there's going to be contacts and
0: that. stuff around everything we're talking about. It's fun. <laughs> but, it's fun.
1: But it's a but it's the law in California. California veterinary technicians learn it in school. We are trained how to do it. We know how to do it. The clinics I have worked at, the veterinary technicians are way more capable and skilled at extractions than the veterinarians are because they don't have to do it. Because They were good at utilization. So as a relief tech, I go into these other into other hospitals outside of where I kind of grew up in veterinary medicine. Um, And I was fortunate to grow up in practices that really fully utilized their credentialed technicians and their assistants and their front desk staff. I mean, it was really remarkable. Um, But I go to these practices, it is so inefficient, Tabitha. And I know you know this, it's so inefficient. It takes so much
0: more time. And then we're also not excelling, like taking our team and allowing them to excel, which affects a bunch of other stuff, but-
1: It affects all of those things, right? It affects retention and attraction of staff. And that means we end up in a really deep staffing shortage and crisis because the, the, the crisis is because we're not keeping people in the profession. That's really where it comes from. So there are new people- joining veterinary medicine every single day. Why? Everybody loves animals, right? Right. Everybody wants to work with animals. Everybody loves their veterinarian, loves their veterinary team, right? They love everyone in the veterinary clinic. They want to be a part of it. I get it. I 100% get it. Um, But those new people, when they come in, if they are not trained, they didn't go to school, uh, they're Getting trained on the job, they don't really know anything about medicine. They don't know anything about animal behavior, reading animal body language, all of these things. Right? That kind of you get you get trained in in school, and then right. you learn through experience. Um, so we're getting we have a pipeline full of people who are coming into the profession. The, what we're what's happening is we're losing people, and we're losing them because they're not being allowed to use their full range of skills. They're not being allowed to demonstrate their full range of knowledge or experience. And that is incredibly frustrating. And I think something that I would love an organization to take on as a study, maybe not one more vet, maybe it's something else. But when I see these questions about like work-life balance for doctors, and I see the surveys that they answer, they don't talk about, they talk about management policies, they talk about corporate policies, they don't talk about the impact of having trained, educated, experienced, and skilled staff.
0: Interesting. I think I didn't realize that until you mentioned it, but damn, what does that play a huger part realistically Uh, than all these, not that they're not all valid, but it's a very big part. If you have a staff member, like I've also been fairly lucky and been fairly well utilized at most of the clinics I've worked at and still am as a relief tech and a consultant. But I feel like, Having that, I know it sounds corny, but like trusting your staff, like I might say, I'm going to handle the cat like this. I know that the cat is comfortable like this because, again, I'm not just making it up. I'm sharing my observations, sharing what the cat's communicating. And then the vet then feels comfortable doing a procedure in a different way they've never done before because we have that trust. And it makes us both learn more and do better. Oh, my God, that sounded smart, you
1: guys. And it makes... That sounded really smart. I mean, you are really smart. So it makes sense that that sounded smart. Um, but it's true. And then the veterinarian, there's so much less stress on the veterinarian when they know that they have a team who is well-trained, experienced, credentialed, right? That they can rely on to do things, The not only the way the practice wants it, not only the way that particular doctor wants it, but legally and and informed by, by medical knowledge, right. And, and experience. So I, and skill, right. All of these things that come together and veterinarians can have much better work-life balance if they properly utilize their team. So if they relied on their, especially their credentialed staff, like this is something I hear a lot, like vet doctors say, oh, I can't possibly have my, my, somebody on my team do anesthesia because the liability is too big. Like, um, I also have a license that I am protecting. I have liability, professional liability as well. It's not all on you veterinarian. It's on me too. share the burden with me. That's what I'm here for is to help. Literally. That is what I'm here for. Not only to provide really great care for pets, right? But To lighten the load for the veterinarian. Part of a
0: technician description is (laughs) to support the veterinarian, (laughs) y'all. That we it's like written in every job
1: description. Yeah, but veterinarians seem to have totally forgotten that. And I think part of it is because they feel this pressure. It comes from vet school. When you ask veterinary instructors at school, at tech schools, when you talk to the prof or not tech schools, vet schools, and you talk to the professors, why are you teaching? your students' technician skills. Well, they might end up in a clinic where they have no technicians. How, why? Number one, why would any veterinarian take a job at a clinic with no technicians? Let's normalize. Um,
0: Every time I go to a vet clinic to talk about behavior, or again, the things that I'm, I excel at, I always ask just to plant a seed, how many credentialed, because we're registered in Ohio too. Yeah. So how many registered veterinary technicians do you have? I may not ex- like talk more about it, but I'm just planting a seed because in many cases it is zero to one.
1: (laughs) So I know, I know. And I think, I mean, and I get how hard it is to hire, right. Especially right now and to retain like this is, these are all issues. And we know that you need a team to do the work. Veterinary medicine is a team sport. You cannot do this by yourself whether you are a veterinarian a veterinary practice owner like a corporation you know you cannot do this by yourself you need an entire team all of us all of us have to rely on each other so i would love for veterinarians to understand our role better which especially like you just said our one of our primary roles is to support the veterinarian that is what we're here for and so we're not enemies right we're not Um, it's not us versus
0: them. Like we were talking about. That's
1: exactly right. It's, it's, we need to be a team. And in fact, you know, I literally, I cannot do my job without the veterinarian. Um, The veterinarian could, they could try and do everything by themselves, but I just don't know how you make any money doing that Um, because you can't be efficient. You can't be as productive as possible without trained, people. Now, veterinarians often think they can just train people themselves and they, and they think this will be great because then I just have a group of people who only know my way. of Oh, doing oh I
0: hear that all the time. They don't know anything so I can
1: mold them. And I'm like, right. you know how
0: creepy this sounds now that I'm looking right. back.
1: Right. So they're never going to, que- and they're never going to question me. They're yeah. never going to bring new ideas Crazy. because I have trained them and they are they are the little robots that I want them to be. Now, I'm not saying this is obviously hyperbole. I'm not saying that every assistant on the job trained person is a robot. That's of not course. what I'm saying at all. But this is I think especially for a lot of older school vets, right? I can
0: see that as a motivation to why, because I, I hear that constantly. I want to hire this person has, that has zero experience that we're actually throwing into a situation to set them up to fail and have (laughs) compassion fatigue and burnout, but whatever. Um, so I can mold like exactly what I hear that all the time.
1: And I'm afraid if I bring in an RVT that they're going to come with, with all these, you know, highfalutin ideas about (laughs) evidence-based medicine and, you know, And, and they're going to cost me so much money because I have to pay them more and they're going to make me do things the quote unquote right way. And, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to do that. So, uh, because I, and I get it, you're worried about your bottom line. I understand, but all the research we have, everything, every study done on this topic has shown us and human medicine too, has shown us that if you fully utilize the people who work for you to the full extent that is legally allowed and that their skill, education and experience brings that you will make so much more money than you would if if you just tried to do this all on your own with your own trained staff without someone coming in that has been to school um, and has passed a national exam. So I think that utilization... It's it is the hot buzzword right now. They they're talking about it in the AVMA House of Delegates. You know they're talking. They have a task force on the topic. I'm glad that um, the
0: conversation is starting. It's a bummer, same. yeah, that because we have to. You know, I talked to April Bayes uh, uh, recently about a lot of these things, and we were saying. It's upset because this isn't a this isn't a new thing. Like everyone's like with the pandemic, and we're like, this has been a chronic issue. You, know, you talk just... to
1: you talk to technicians who have been in the field yep. like since the beginning, right? Like Harold Davis, for example, yes. Nancy Shaffren, right? Amazing you talk people, to yeah. these folks who really built the veterinary technician profession. Um, and they were having the same discussions and the same arguments 35, 40 years ago. Um, and I am hopeful that things are we're actually going to make things happen now and that in 40 years from now, we're not having these same discussions. And I'm hopeful because I see movement. Right. I see legislature's. Now doing things that they weren't willing to do before. So you look at what the Big Sky Tech Association was able to achieve in Montana, for example. So they they've gotten uh, veterinary technicians in the Practice Act now in Montana. They have them in Utah, right? Huge, huge, and win.
0: technicians. I think because I'll be honest, I've been in tech for quite a, lo- a while, and you know, my first few years, I wasn't aware of any of these things. I just thought I normalized us being less val. This is sad to say, but I'm just being honest, I've normalized us being less than and seen as less than um, even by our veterinary colleagues, which is now not something I will stand for. But I just thought that that was normal. So I think technicians who may not be aware of these things, some people, some technicians aren't even aware of the the laws in their state, for example, That's right. and what yes. they could do. So I think these conversations, the fact that they're becoming more, more, like well-known more common these technicians are going to be like oh shit it doesn't have to be this way dude let's fucking do something about it yeah
1: i mean that is for all of the bad that social media has brought to society (laughs) um that is something i think that that is really positive is is, it's allowing these conversations to happen um among, you know, people who are spread across the country, across the world. So we can have conversations around these issues and educate and talk about what's going on and bring it to people's attention, what's happening, um, so that they recognize what, what is going on. And I know there's a lot. So there's this new initiative that has just come out. Um, I'm not, I don't know what's going to come of it, but it's public-facing which I think is important. I think the public needs to know what it is that that we do. And I think the public can put pressure on veterinary corporations on their own, you know, independently owned veterinary practices as well to say, Hey, it's important to me that credentialed staff are taking care of my pet. And that is a piece of the puzzle that is important. But, (laughs) um, and I'm trying not to say, but I'm trying to get that out of my, um, out of my vocabulary. So instead I will say, and we have clinicians in our profession, veterinarians who don't know what the Veterinary Practice Act says, that don't understand that there is title protection um, in the states where that exists, that don't understand the scope of practice and what they're allowed to delegate and what they can't delegate legally. They, They just don't know because they're not taught in school Or they went to school at a place where credential technicians weren't part of the practice act or they didn't work with any credentialed veterinary technicians while they were in school during their clinical rotations, which is unbelievable to me, but is the, is the truth. The veterinary schools are not required to have credentialed staff, um, and that, and seeing the way veterinary schools
0: work, right. It kind of. Some of these things that we're seeing in the in the field as they are working in practice, it it kind of makes sense because if they're not even being talked, it's kind of like burnout, compassion, fatigue, all these things that are a big part of our jobs. If you don't work with technicians at all through your schooling, which is a very long process. Right. And then you throw them into a practice. Right. Where we're a big part. It just it's it's interesting because. We could see the core problems here. And there are, the, the fact that we can identify those is awesome because that means we can make them better. Ideally. Yes.
1: As long as we can get the ear of people who can make those changes. Definitely. And that is a big, th- that's the big challenge I think now for for us, for our side of the profession is having our voice heard. And I will say, you know, our national organization is not representative of the profession. They don't have enough members to demonstrate that they actually represent the profession. And yet that is the organization Who's that the AVMA us. reaches out to right. that, you know, I don't know that the AAVMC, right? The veterinary colleges, that's who they're reaching out to. And we're, veterinary technicians aren't monolithic. I, I wish we were. It would make everybody's job so much easier if we all thought the same and felt the same about everything. But we don't. Um, There are tons of interprofessional uh, issues. I mean, you're a behavior person. I don't have to tell you about all of the interprofessional issues Mm -hmm. that (laughs) exist in our chosen fields. Um, So I think it is important to have that diversity of voices and opinions because that is the way we come to the best decisions is when we work collaboratively with people of diverse opinions, diverse backgrounds, diverse races, genders, gender identities, sexual identities, all of these things have to come together to create a the best possible solutions as we move forward. And one of the big problems I see is exclusion of these other voices. And this happens in so many organizations. Yes, definitely. Um, And I mean, there was, you know, we're talking now in February of 2022, and there was a a big to-do about the AVMA and their House of Delegates meeting in January of 2022. and, And the idea that they might allow veterinary technicians to join the AVMA, you know, a lot of pearl clutching, a lot of you know, I don't know, uh, dinosaurs, dinosaur speak is it's what I so call it.
0: Interesting that it makes them s- like, because I think as a technician, I see it, you see it, we've all seen it. It's just interesting that we're seen as a threat. And I yeah. feel like that should be a good thing. But also,
1: that's not what we're trying to do. Right. We're trying to help you. Right, <laughs> but- right. And I, I know, I'm sure. I don't want to contribute to that. I think that I am a threatening person. I mean, you know, I think that because, because of the ideas that I talk about and, um, you know, missing out on professional, uh, opportunities in all kinds of areas. Uh, but I, for me and this is not for everyone. Right, not everyone told, is in yes. that position that I am in. But for me, these things are important that we talk about them and that we have people who can talk about them without fear of that backlash. So it sucks, right? It sucks to not be able to find a relief gig working on the floor because everywhere around me. If I I want to work emergency, it's a corporate practice and they're not willing to bring me in. (laughs) Um, I get it. Like, and that's, it sucks, but it's okay because these, because it's important that people talk about um, utilization, title protection, legal, increasing our scope of practice as credential technicians, adding VTSs to the practice acts, which, don't exist in any practice act as it, as it, is, as it is currently written. You
0: guys, I'm going to totally read my practice acts now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. If you yes. haven't, I, I mean, know I have it. I feel I will. I will. I so, literally own the, the book that is the vet, the California veterinary, You're veterinary right. practice I'm act. Totally and there. it is important. And I think we need to be engaging more in our, and I think really we need to be engaging more in our state associations. This is where those changes get made with our state associations, technician and medical associations. So VMAs, VTAs, this is where the work is happening on the ground. And this is where I think technicians and assistants should really be involved in their state associations. Go to your state veterinary medical board meetings. They are open. They They
0: are always looking (laughs) for people, guys. I I can uh, vouch for that.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's true. I mean, state associations are desperate for people to volunteer, to help, um, and to work on these really big issues impacting us. And that is where you can have the most influence outside of your own clinic, right? So I talked a little bit about this. I was recently talking to Tasha on the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast, and we talked about how do you create these changes that you want to see. Yeah. How do technicians advocate for their utilization? Because it's kind of rough. It is. It can be really, really tough, especially if you're working with um a veterinarian who uh, you know, I find it very commonly with new veterinarians because they're not as confident in their in their skills overall. Or they found out in veterinary school that they really like the technical skills and really I think a lot of veterinarians, not brand new veterinarians, and not super old veterinary, not old in age, but long time graduate (laughs) veterinarians. Um, It's this middle, weird middle ground where they're like, oh, I went to vet school because I love animals. And I wanted to work in a veterinary hospital, I wanted to take care of them. And while I was in veterinary school, incurring all of the student debt, And carrying all of these expectations of my friends and family that I'm going to be a doctor, I actually found out I like the technical stuff better. I like the hands on stuff better. Like, I want to be placing catheters all day. I want to be monitoring anesthesia. Like, I want to be providing the hands on care. And then they realized when they got to vet school, that's not what being a veterinarian is. That is being a veterinary technician. And I think we run into that in clinics too, a lot with that middle like the newer vets, I think are more clear on, on that, but there's a group of graduates, uh, that I have worked with who they, they want, they want to place catheters. They want to do, they want to do all of the things that are my, that's my job. (laughs) Um, and I have to remind them, like you have four things that you do. You perform surgery, you come to a diagnosis Based on the diagnostic results from the tests that I run, you don't run the tests, I run the tests. You order the tests, I run the tests. You come up with the diagnosis, you create a prognosis based on that diagnosis and history and everything else, and you write prescriptions. That's it. Those are your four things. Everything else is my job. And let me do my job. And you go do your doctor job and let me do my job. And then guess what? I'm going to be happier you're going to be happier. We're all going to get out of work on time. Um, and like that, that is, animal is realistically,
0: ground. let's be honest, that animal is going to get better care and so client. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I don't mean that I'm just being honest, like yeah. a big part of a technician's job, especially one like myself, who has worked very hard on her communication skills, because that's a whole nother podcast uh, about veterinary professionals, communication skills. Yeah, but I'm going to go over the treatment plan. And address the client's concerns so they can, so they feel comfortable coming in for that surgery That's right. or while you're writing up the notes or going on to the next client. I, I think, or even acknowledging, I think more than one set of eyes is always good. I, yeah. I truly believe this. So I've been an inpatient technician where the vet is doing appointments and I treat, you know, I triage the patient and I That's give right. the doctor updates, but then the doctor also examines that inpatient once to twice a day with my yeah. observations. So now they have more information and can diagnose that animal yeah. more
1: accurately. Exactly. I think Tabitha, you are so um, uniquely positioned, all of you in behavior because you are experts at modifying behavior. <laughs> and <laughs> it has getting, helped a lot. I'm not gonna Getting lie. animals, I mean, <laughs> people are just animals, no, right? For sure. Getting us to do things that... Maybe we didn't think we wanted to do um, or we don't actually want to do, but we're willing to do um, for a reward or whatever. And, you know, humans, obviously, a little bit more complicated, not a lot, but But it's interesting because I do
0: I've actually worked with a few veterinarians who I think, again, I don't think truly I don't think people are malicious but there's these narratives and these social things that are conditioned, especially in vet med, like you said, in school, there are we're already kind of not setting them up for success. And sometimes I've looked at a situation that's been difficult where I could not communicate effectively. And I was like, I need to find their motivation. Their motivation isn't not th- not that it isn't. It's just reducing stress for the patient. And for me, either they don't believe what I'm saying or that's not enough motivation for them. So then I would find what motivated them. And that helped change behavior, y'all.
1: That's right. I mean, and that is what, that's what Tasha and I talked about on the podcast, you know, in the anesthesia realm, right? Oh, for sure. But without bringing in any of the behavioral science. And I mean, I am, behavior was on my list of potential VTS. I know. We all want to do everything, you guys. I love, love it. I love behavior <laughs> so much. Um, and I, and I truly, I am not good at it. And you can attest I'm not good at it because oh, I she is good at you, it oh, stop! Uh, She's for like my me. cat. No, but I am I'm a big jump person. And I yes. think that helps. That does not really help me in um, behavior modification because behavior That's modification so is little time, little steps. I was talking
0: time. to another technician and they literally said the because they are uh, a VTS in emergency critical care. And they're like, I love behavior, but I like this is the calculation. It's a fact and behavior. It doesn't work. Oh my God. That's so interesting.
1: I'm a big, I'm a big jump person. Right. I mean, you, we talk, so for full disclosure, you know, I consulted with chirrups and chatter to help (laughs) me get my cat ready to take eye drops after an eye surgery. And I was worried. I didn't want to set up a situation with my cat where he ran from me every time I had to medicate him or he, you know, he, Fought me or like, hey, I'm a veterinary professional. I work in emergency and critical care. I can wrangle a cat. I don't like wrangling cats. That's not my modus operandi anymore. And I definitely don't want to do it with a cat I live with and I love. Um, And it is so hard to change behavior because you really do have to take it. At a step at a time. And it could be
0: really discouraging for technicians, <laughs> not for me, because of my behavior background. But I think when it comes to anything, whether I'm trying right. to help that vet clinic, not declaw, because
1: obviously right. you and guys we know, can see, we can see yes. the, bo- the benefit, the big picture benefit. Like, can't you just see this? Like,
0: come on. But lots of small steps. So celebrate successful approximations, <laughs> right? So Lots of small steps. And that's where I think me and, me and Liz were actually talking about how amazing, like there is some toxicity in vet med, obviously, but how amazing, especially other veterinary technicians I know and how we collaborate and support and lift each other, especially women. Um, not that I love you men too, I'm just saying. Um, so I, I think that we, when we're dealing with making these changes, like Liz is doing a lot of work to get techs utilized and unions and the work she's doing is amazing. And I under like, we understand if those steps are hard for you, because you're already overwhelmed with stuff. But that's where it's like, you might have did a small thing, like you advocated for yourself to you reminded the vet of the practice act. And this is the laws in our state kindly. And that's a huge, it was a small step for you. But that's a huge step. And we should support each other and reinforce that behavior.
1: And on the utilization side, right? It is, it's small steps. You have yeah. to build trust. And so behavior modification, trust building, it's all part of it, right? Yeah. It's it's the relationship that you're trying to form. And so it is taking these small steps. So if your practice act says that only credential technicians or veterinarians can do venipuncture, for example, right? And so you go into a clinic and the vet does all the blood draws. The vet places all the catheters because they don't feel comfortable. They're worried about liability. They never had a credential technician, whatever it might be. So a case like that, like for me, because I'm a big jump person, I'm like, go away. Just let me do this. Like, it's not your job. That's not probably the most effective (laughs) manner. So a small step would be, oh, hey, um, I know that this appointment is waiting, right? You're, you're, uh, maybe you're a couple minutes late for that appointment. So why don't you let me do this blood draw and you go do that appointment? You know, you try, you give them, you let them know they have a reward. They're keeping the client happy. They're getting into their, and appointment and they start to feel more comfortable. Time. So you're building, you do a blood process. draw, nothing bad happens. Yep. You get the blood, everything gets submitted properly. Everything's fine. Nothing bad happens. Then the vet starts saying, Oh, Okay. So, and I think about this too, when I, cause I'm talking to a behavior person. So I think about dogs, right. And how right. they generalize. And when we train dogs, like you say, oh yeah, your dog does a perfect sit stay in your kitchen, but can it do a perfect sit stay in your front yard? Right. At the mall. At, right. Like, Hey, talk about a big jump person. Right. What did I do? I went straight from your front yard to the <laughs> Damn mall. But
0: you know that those are steps that you have to practice, which is what we have to do with when it comes to advocating for ourselves.
1: That's exactly right. Any change you want to make, you have to take small steps to to the change that you want to see. and that's how you make it work. And you build trust, you build that relationship. And what that does is it takes time too. And that's the other part. So I see a lot of people. Uh, who are encouraged in these vet groups to just jump ship. Oh, your work environment isn't perfect. You hate it there. Just jump ship. It's never going you're never going to fix it. You're never going to make it right. I don't, I don't ascribe to that philosophy. I think, I think you need to put in the work. And I think mental health is about knowing your boundaries and limits when it comes to doing that work. So yes, we have to do the work to build relationships, to build trust, to create the help create the culture we want to work within. And it's difficult for a lot of us to recognize where the boundary to that is. How much work am I willing to put in without seeing reciprocal work from someone else, from a veterinarian? Like and that's how a little many little
0: different for exactly for right. everybody. But I definitely agree. I don't like when people because I've been to events right where whether it's. Um, implementing low stress and fear-free or or whatever positive changes that you are trying to implement. And they're just like, quit. So you're kind of shutting that person. Actually, I'm sure the person doesn't mean it. Like these people in groups don't mean it. But for that tech, you're basically shutting them down and now they feel essentially stuck. And not everyone can just, guys, let's be honest, like not all of us can just leave our jobs. And if every job is like this, Right. Which it's not that way. And we're making changes, but that's because of us staying in practice.
1: You have to stay and work to create those changes, to build that trust. Right. And, and like you said, it's going to look different with every veterinarian, with every practice, with every technician and assistant, with every front desk person, right? It's all gonna look different, um, which is just the joy and challenge and misery of being a human being. Um, And so, you know, these are just the keys to creating the change that you wanna see. And the grass isn't always greener somewhere else, but it's also not brown everywhere. So I really firmly believe in watering your own lawn. Right. Work to create the change that you want to see where you are until it becomes very clear that it's not going to happen. Right. And Sometimes it will become clear. No, I've, I've, and that's where me and Liz are obviously
0: huge mental health advocates. And we understand that everyone's in different places. And mentally, you may not have the energy, and I respect that, or the, to be able to communicate effectively. Cause you're all, to be fair, I don't care uh, how much, how well you mean, but if you're irritable and anxious, the way you communicate guys <laughs> might not be the most effective way. And you, I always say, I'm just not a good fit at this clinic. Right.
1: <gasps> and hey, that's okay. We, our values aren't aligned. Exactly. And you know, I have my, I value, you know, and now I'm, I'm old. <laughs> okay, older, but you know, I've a technician. I've been a technician now for 16 years. I've been a credentialed technician. And I really came in at this weird inflection point, um, where we when I started, we were rodeoing, right? No chemical restraint, you know, six people for a nail trim, all of these things. I learned All of that stuff, boxing, cats down, everything, right? And my career in that span, that 16 year old, 16 year span, that's a a generation, right? We have evolved so much. And so now I know where my values are, what they align with, and I can look for people and practices that align with my values. So fear-free is incredibly important to me or low stress handling, whichever.
0: So this is a tab of thing.
1: But I always joke
0: with people because I don't hear it as much. But when I was doing a lot of conferences, which I'm going to start seeing people in real life again soon. um, But I'll say because I've done work with low stress handling. I've done work with Fear Free. I've done work Cat Friendly. And I'm like, the fact that there's only like three organizations dedicated to like the biggest part of our job is actually sad. And then the person just is like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, dude, we're not. It's not us versus them. This is a big part of our job. There should be Just like anesthesia, there should be multiple, which there are, thankfully, there should be multiple organizations dedicated anesthesia. There should be multiple organizations.
1: And we should be collaborating because we build better solutions when we work together. And this, I think, is, I mean, that is really one of my big values is collaboration. And And we don't see as much of that
0: on the the larger organization levels. That's and I right. don't think I ever have in my career to be honest. No,
1: it's really, really difficult. I mean, yeah. even it's just, it's difficult. I think yeah. that um, we, uh, so I'm also, in addition to, you know my union work. I'm also part of the internal medicine um, academy leadership because I am the credentialing chair. And we got feedback at our general membership meeting several years ago that people, our members, felt excluded. They didn't feel mm-hmm. um, welcomed. They didn't feel like the organization was open or encouraging that collaboration. And The executive board really took that to heart. Uh, That's hard feedback to hear because of course, no one, well, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say no one, but I don't want to be in a click, right? Right. I don't want to be the, you can't sit with me model. And that just triggered something in my brain that I read from Brene Brown. Um, I don't know. Do you know Brene Brown? Yes, of course I
0: do. Just
1: just checking. So for those of you who don't know Brene Brown, she's amazing. Look her up. Uh, that's all I'll say. Just look her up. But she was on spot. We're a little bit off topic, but she was Spotify. on Spotify. Uh, that's, she has a, an, actually it's ex- an exclusive content. Uh, oh, I heard Spotify. about
0: this. I was very, I was like, this is a good step. Yeah. And
1: today she put out a really interesting post where she compared the, these the, like podcast platforms or right. whatever content platforms to a high school cafeteria. And we can think about, we can apply this metaphor to veterinary medicine, right? And we can think about these organizations as, uh, you know, the all of veterinary medicine is a giant high school cafeteria. And I don't mean to give anybody PTSD by thinking back to your high school cafeteria days, but uh, here we are, this giant cafeteria, and there's a NAVTA table, and there's an AVMA table, and there's a low stress handling table, and there's a fear-free table, and there's, and everybody's 100%. sitting at their own tables, right? And I don't want to be the you can't sit with me person. I want to be the person who pushes all the tables together um, or a couple of the tables together or whatever, because I think that's much more interesting. And
0: it's actually now I'm triggered. It's like those movies, but real life where the popular jolly, whatever, girl or guy walks over to a table of, again, these are labels. I don't the use nerds. Them. Nerds. <laughs> and then Everyone's like, yay, we are. And there's these huge changes from someone just approaching and being kind to it. And that's so, like, me and Liz were talking about that before the podcast. And that is a very real thing. So, leading by example, even though you can't control everything, guys, you can, I sound like Brene know. you can control yourself. And that's right. When you're being kind and learning new things and advocating for yourself, people can tell and they will feel more confident and maybe be like, hey, maybe I should. Advocate for myself at my vet clinic, or and
1: advocate for other people. Yes, so I think for me, one of my big things when I was going for my VTS, for example, I was, I was really intent on like I need to do every single central line that comes in. Like if a central line is ordered, I need to do it because I need cases for my case logs. Once I turn in my application, I don't care if I ever place (laughs) another central line ever again or a urinary catheter or anything. I will teach everybody. How to do it. I don't care if I ever do another one, I am ha- I want to teach everybody how to do it. For right now, I need to do them all. Here's right. why. After that, nothing, nothing gives me a bigger high, a bigger dopamine hit than watching someone master a new skill uh, or even practice a new skill. I used to, I worked in an ICU. I used to take pictures of new assistants, oh, I love tech students. I took pictures of their first catheter and then I would post it on social media. And then every year, right. It would pop up as a memory. And I'd be like, look how far you've come. This was your first catheter. It was a year ago. And look at all the things you've done since then. And I would just do that for all kinds of stuff, first central line, first QCath, whatever it was. Um, I love that. And that is, I think if more people got a hit of that drug, more people would do that on a regular basis instead of hoarding that knowledge and hoarding that experience and skill. It's sharing way it.
0: more reinforcing to share it. 100%. And I'll say
1: there has to be a limit to that though, right? Like yes. boundaries because boundaries. Boundaries are important. I don't want your employer to say to you, wow, you have this huge passion for teaching and you love, you know, training new people. That's great. Can you like basically teach tech school to all these people I'm hiring off the street? In two weeks, because we're going to give you a minimal amount of time. Just teach them everything you know about anesthesia so that I can use them in in the surgery suite that is a place where I would suggest you draw a boundary, right? And you say, look, I'm happy to help folks learn skills, master skills, but I am not here to teach a tech school curriculum. Like I went to school. If you want that, because let's be honest, boss, you would need to pay me for that training anyway. So how about you just subsidize their school uh, tuition or fees or whatever? But how about you pay to send them to school instead? Give them the time to go to school instead. And then what you'll have, is a person who's invested in you and your clinic because you have shown you're invested in them. And you're, you're going to have another credential technician on your staff who loves you because you believed in them and let them do this and help them do this. They're going to stay around. They're going to be motivated, engaged. They're going to pass that. You're
0: creating an environment because some environments I think, because I have definitely been that tech. I admit, uh, guys, I've learned, I've gotten better. I'm always learning. I'm sure my second year being a tech, years and years and years ago, I was like, I'm just going to do everything because it's easier. And I would say stuff like that. I would 100% say stuff like that. And now I realize how out of date and how much harder I was making my life in general when I was like, because now I get that same when I, I'll give a, a, a person a little bit, like just plant some seeds of behavior stuff. And then you see them critically apply it to like all these things. And your mind is just Like I have cried so many times out of joy, just being like, How have you applied this to that? This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So to end every podcast, Liz, I love to ask my guests to just name something that makes them happy. This could be your amazing new cannabis textbook that has came out, which all y'all need. It's amazing. It's the first of its kind, and it's from Liz and the amazing Stephen Sattel. Or it could be a, your cat cuddling you this morning or your favorite coffee. So Liz Houston, what's something that makes you happy?
1: Oh, I wish my cats cuddled with me. I used to have a cuddly cat. He was the best. He was always a little spoon. He was, oh, I miss that cat oh, every day. I but I will say that my animals bring me so much joy. I have a dumb little chihuahua um, and I have two cats who, one of whom is allergic to humans. Uh, God bless his heart. He's just... Uh, I just, they bring me so much joy every day. And, you know, I have been uh, working on a gratitude practice and I have to say oh, I love that. doing that every day, thinking about three things that you're grateful for. And I have to say, I am so grateful for where I live. We're just, I'm sorry, you're in Ohio and I hate to no, do I this know. to you, but okay. here in California, <laughs> we're just coming into early spring and spring is my absolute favorite time of year. Um, and so just this weather is making me happy. And um, the fact that the Omicron surge is ebbing, and I'm about to be seeing people in person you know, again. Guys, conferences, and, I
0: will see all uh, of you. I can't wait. Yeah,
1: I don't know when this is coming out. But one thing that makes me happy is I have my first in person speaking engagement in two and a half years. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at Western Vet Conference in Vegas on Sunday, March 6th I'm going to be speaking about unions. Oh, that's so awesome. I am super excited. Um, and that, that will be my first time out, basically. <laughs> uh, and, um, and that makes me really happy to have that to look forward to. It's a little, I'm a little nervous about it at the same time, but that's what makes us alive, right?
0: I love it. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for being here. We will definitely have Liz back. We have plenty of fun soapboxes to chat about, but backed with research and kindness. That's a, that's a new saying. Uh, so, thank you, Liz, so much for being here. I appreciate everything you do for technicians, for veterinary staff. Seriously, you're a fucking inspiration, girl.
1: Tabitha, thank you so much for having me. I can't believe I didn't let an F-bomb fly at all (laughs) in this whole talk. I feel like it's a wasted opportunity. Uh, But I just appreciate you having me. And I'm so excited about your podcast. Congratulations. Um, I have loved watching you grow your business, your Uh, professional achievements. You are a force of nature and I'm proud of you and proud for you to be my friend. Liz Houston
0: said she was proud of me, you guys. (laughs) Everything's okay in the world. What a wonderful conversation with Liz Houston. Every time I hear her speak or talk to her, I learn something new and hopefully you did too listening. Are you being utilized at your veterinary clinic or at your shelter as a registered veterinary technician? I hope so. And if not, Hopefully you picked up a few tips on how to advocate for yourself as a technician, as well as for others. Thank you so much for listening.